0: All right. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> and good music. So let's start off with prayer, shall we? Father, again, we just want to praise you and thank you so much for your word and for who you are. Um, ask that you would bless our time of study and fellowship this morning. In Christ, I pray. Amen. So welcome to our third and final on, quote unquote, the doctrine of God. So what does that mean? Well, basically, well, it being Father's Day, I wanted to introduce everybody and to get you to know our Father that much better because it's an amazing thing to know our Father God. The first scripture I want you to turn to is Psalm 139. And we'll start in verse 7. So we're going to go Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. And let me see when everyone gets there. All right, I'll go ahead and read it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. this verse shows if you want the fancy theological term it's called omnipresence and what does that mean? it means that God is everywhere uh, present let me be very careful about this because there's um, a heresy associated with this idea called pantheism so God is everywhere not God is in everything um, what's pantheism? A lot of the Native American stuff like you know God is a tree or in the trees or in the rocks that that type of deal that's not what the scriptures teach. It just teaches that God himself is here at the same time. He fills all parts of the universe. So also, this um, kind of militates against an idea that we have in our mind as well, that God is in heaven, yet his power is here on earth. Can you see how we've come to that conclusion wrongly, um, might I add? We kind of seem to think this idea, and I think I mentioned it last week or maybe the week before, that we have this idea that the Spirit is more of a force rather than an actual person here with us. And we just get this idea, and we need to um, make sure that that's not how we're worshiping God. So there's a twofold application to this about as far as God being everywhere all at the same time. Well, number one, it's a comfort to the believer if you're going to realize and rest in the fact that there isn't any Adversity that you can experience that's going to be apart from the presence and care of God. Think about that. It's not that Well, Ben mentioned it perfectly. Okay? Tragedies happen in the world and people say sending our thoughts and prayers with you God is not sending his thoughts and prayers with you. God is literally right there with you while it is happening Let that sink in let that resonate. That is an absolute phenomenal truth whatever it is that we're going through whatever tragedies are happening However, not only is God always present, but He's promised to be at our side in a special way as our rock and our strength. Some verses, if you're taking notes on that, is Joshua 1:9, Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 through 6, and Matthew 28:20. 20. So, what's the second half of that? So, God is definitely with us with whatever struggles or adversities that we're going through. It's also a warning against disobedience and a preventative against sin. So we can't commit a single sin without God being there. Think about that one, (laughs) right? How sobering is that?
1: But he was there and saw it before it happened.
0: (laughs) Exactly. We don't have a thought or an intent of our heart without God knowing and feeling it. So no wrong desire ever escapes his presence. No matter how we may fool others, we never fool our omnipresent, omniscient God. We can't escape from the presence of God. I mean that's a very sobering thought as a Christian. So the the next one that we get into, uh, let's go to Psalm one forty seven. Let me get there. I'm cheating. I'm using my my phone here, so I don't have to spend time turning. So we're in Psalm one forty seven and starting in verse five. so, Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Now, since we're here, if you want to flip over or back one to uh, Job chapter 37, verse 16. What did you say? Job chapter 37, verse 16. God says, Do you know how the clouds are balanced, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? So what are these two verses teaching? Well, it's, it's showing, the, again, the fancy term is omniscience. What does that mean? It means God has perfect knowledge of everything. I think I said it last week. I've said it before. You know, God never has an aha moment. Right There's nothing that has ever occurred to God. So he has perfect knowledge of each individual person and all human experiences. Think about it. All the scriptures we read that man's ways are known to the Lord. I mean, Psalm 33, 139, Proverbs 5. Man's words are known to the Lord. Again, Psalm 139, Matthew 12. Man's thoughts are known to the Lord. Psalm 94. Man's sorrows and trials are known to the Lord, Genesis 21. Man's future actions and final state are known to the Lord, Genesis 18, Acts 27. God knows from all eternity what shall be in all eternity, the entire plan and ages in the part of every man in that plan. Is that comforting or terrifying to you guys, or a mixture of both? 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 Okay, why do you say both?
1: Well it's comforting because
0: of what we're sharing, but it's, it's frightening because we don't can't hide. Right.
1: And it's encouraging because uh, we know that God is with us no matter what we are going through. God right. They're with
0: us. Right. I mean it, it's such an absolutely amazing promise. So But then again, of
1: our, our anger or our mm-hmm. naughtiness when we do things is right there in the midst of that, too. And what a shameful thing that we should be more aware of. However, when we come to that stopping, remembrance, then we can immediately ask for forgiveness. Right. Right, come. we definitely can. It's shameful that we don't stop it beforehand. <laughs> that is true.
0: Well, it's, it's shameful in my own life how I've been convicted. I can live an entire day, go throughout an entire day as if God doesn't even exist. Have you guys done that too? Say it again. Go through an entire day uh, as if God doesn't even exist. I mean, you're just not even aware of His presence throughout the whole day because you're so busy with whatever stuff is going on. To me, in my life, that's the most shameful in my life. To have this... Intimate knowledge of God on one hand, but then live an entire day, go through it, and just completely ignore that, and not to have it at the forefront. So God, what? He knows all things that exist in actuality. So the psalmist recognized the omniscience of God, that he knew his actions, his thoughts, his words, before he even spoke them, and his entire life. Let me go back to Psalm 139, if you guys want to go there, again, if you had... I should have told you to bookmark it, but it's okay. <coughs> so we'll be in Psalm 139, 1 through 4. The psalmist says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows all the variables concerning the things that haven't even occurred. Oh, that's fantastic. Jesus knew what Tyre and Sidon would have done had the gospel been preached to them in Matthew 11. God knows what? All future events. Because God is eternal. He knows all things in one eternal act. I know we tried to discuss that last week as far as time and eternity and wrap our mind around that. He knew the nations that would dominate Israel. He knows the events that will yet transpire upon the earth. So how does that give us comfort? Well, do any of you other than me um, you know, read some of these news stories and just get my word? I, I mean, what is happening but we have to find comfort and rest in knowledge that it's not shocking to God. Hey, guys. It's not going to...
1: Oh, no. No. <laughs> yeah,
0: up, up here, guys. <laughs> There's two up front. Oh, here we
1: go.
0: So it's not shocking to God. It's not... Um... <laughs> it's, not it's not something that is beyond his control, it's not something that he didn't see coming, it's not something that he doesn't have a plan for. Since God has perfect knowledge of everything, his creatures, which is including me, so there's another, uh, a number of responses I believe that we need to make according to this. What's the first one you guys think? Worship. Worship and adoration. Again, Psalm 139. Verse 6, the psalmist says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I mean, he's just absolutely in awe. I think I have a. I'm to pull the microphone down. <laughs> Excuse me. Are you not? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <always uses> <laughs> so, submission also, once we realize this about God. God tests us not to know what we will do, again, he's not surprised by this, but to show us the true condition of our inner lives, to point out our hidden sins and weaknesses and false areas of trust. How many times has this happened to us? Mm-hmm. Time and time again. Too many, Tim said, I agree. Personal comfort rest comes in that knowledge that the Lord knows the way that I take with its temptation and trials, He also knows our frame, takes into account that we are dust, Psalm 103. Like Hagar said, in confidence of God's love and care, you are a God who sees me. I thought that was an interesting phrase when she responded to God that way in Genesis 16. Confidence in prayer, that my prayer will not be lost among the millions. Do you guys ever feel that way when you're praying, that it's just kind of going no further than the ceiling and then that's that? But that's not true, regardless of how we feel. That's absolutely not true. That's not what the scriptures teach. God knows the best answer to the real desires and needs of our heart, and that my often inability to know how to pray is not going to hinder God's loving and watchful care before my needs. Isaiah 65 It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. For those who presume upon the Lord God's omniscience, that means his all-knowingness, should remind us that nothing anyone does escapes the knowledge of God. And one day we're going to be called to give an account at that. God's going to deal with each of us according to the truth of his life. Romans 2. What's the next one? So let's continue our tour of Psalms here. Let's go to Psalm 68. And we'll be in verse 14 of Psalm 68. The psalmist says this: When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow, as Zalman. And we can go to another chapter in Psalms, Psalm 91. verses 1 through 2 there. The psalmist says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. And then one of the last psalm, we're going to be in chapter 115. Let me get it here verse 3 but our god is in heaven he does whatever he pleases so what's the fancy theological term for this one it's called the omnipotence of god it's the full power like the psalmist said our god is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases God's power in creation. Commander, a sustainer. God's power in relation to mankind. Pretty much all of Genesis 45, if you wanna look at that. God's power in relation to the heavenly host. That's Daniel chapter four. Here's the real comforting one. God's power in relation to, his, to Satan and his hosts. Don't forget that. Satan is a created being. God still has power and authority over him. Satan can only operate as God in his infinite wisdom permits him to do so. So let's move back one to Job. Chapter 1, starting in verse 12. You guys remember this, the, the entrance of, of Job, right? And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your power... Only do not lay a hand on his person. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We'll get into the minutia of that later on. I don't want to open up that can uh, right now. But the whole idea that Satan is still under that leash that only as long as God allows it to be. He cannot act outside of God's will. Of course, that's going to create another question, then why is it God's will that he's allowing Satan to do those things? Okay, (laughs) we'll get into that one later. I promise. I promise. Just not now. So that omnipotence means that God's all-powerful. His power is absolutely unlimited. God has the ability to do whatever he pleases with or without any type of secondary means. But what he pleases is always in harmony with God's perfection, his nature, his person, right? So you can think about us, our own nature. Some of the things that we want to do that is in our pleasure, of course, are in direct contradiction to God, right? Because of his holy nature and our sinful nature takes over. That's not so with God. God never has those, you know, where you have to stifle these desires, that doesn't occur with God. There is both authority and ability to perform them. So in man, there may be authority to do something, but no ability to perform it. Such as like uh, if you have a coup d'etat, a rightful king of a nation is deposed. The there, may, may, uh, there may be no authority, but there may be power in a rebel king, who because of all forces at his disposal, usurps the authority of the rightful king. In Matthew 28, Christ said all authority, which means authority to act, and power and ability to act, have been given to me in heaven and on earth. Think about that. That is an amazing claim. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Christ had uttered those words. So what does that mean? It means God's power is such that he can do whatever he pleases without difficulty or any resistance. (laughs)
1: <laughs> which,
0: which verse was that? That is in thanks, Margaret. Uh, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. So imagine that God can do whatever He pleases without any difficulty or resistance. Though Satan and man may attempt to resist it, God's power can't be checked. It can't be restrained, frustrated. Think about having reminded stubborn Israel, who had resisted God's will, that Yahweh alone was God, and there was none to compare with Him. God made this declaration to that nation in Isaiah 46.10, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure.
1: That puts meaning to the term, God is all-powerful.
0: Oh, hugely so. Absolutely hugely so. It also gives me great um, comfort and hope because whatever idiotic thing I'm doing that day, I'm not thwarting God's purpose that day. Now hear what I'm saying, okay, and I understand it. Sometimes we have these issues and we're saying, but you know, this guy goes out there and claims he's a Christian and just lives like an absolute devil. I'm not saying that those two are the same, that if I'm having an idiotic moment, that I can go out and (coughs) live exactly according to my desires right? What does James have to say about that? If I have no transformation and no evidence that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, James says, you never were to begin with, period, right? Isaiah 40, 28, God says, do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable, Isaiah 45.12, It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their host. So, this idea of God being all-powerful doesn't imply the exercise of all of his power. He has power over his power. Does that make sense? <laughs> Do you need me to, to rephrase that again? He's
1: in control.
0: Exactly. Do you have especially guys it's it's just in our nature have you guys ever lost it <laughs> right that doesn't happen with god which surprises me because i look at the world and i'm like i mean even in genesis 6 right with the flood it's not that all of a sudden god lost it and just said that's it this was actually calculated he gave them 100 years yeah right lucky he gave them 100 years <coughs> about sodom too. Right.
1: He gave Abraham a
0: chance to get Lot out of there. Yep. And okay, do we even even need to go over this one? God can't do that, which would contradict His own holy character or essence. Right. So I mean, God Himself isn't going to lie. God isn't going to sin. Uh, God isn't going to do something reprehensible. He can't annihilate Himself. And. Yeah. These, I want to be kind, ideas really only come from universities where people have nothing better to do than to just think of the, the ludicrousness. He can't go back on his word because he is faithful. Second Timothy 2. Now, let that one resonate. God cannot go back on his word. Not will not, but cannot. There's a difference. Do you understand the difference? See, it's like... <laughs> you know, if we give our word that we're going to do something and if somebody is just that most upright person that you know that will never go back on their word, there is a possibility that something that could happen that would cause them to go back on their word, right? That possibility doesn't even exist with God.
1: God is the ultimate. Let, uh, let my yes be yes and my no be no. I know.
0: Because it's literally in his nature. He can't be tempted because he's absolute holiness. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything, James 1.13. Sin is actually an imperfection. And it would be contradictory to say that the perfect one could be imperfect. It's, really, it's not really putting a limitation on God by saying that God can't sin. So what does this mean, this all-powerfulness, this omnipotence of God? It's a wonderful ground of trust and confidence for the believer in reliability that the scriptures and all of their promises, the truth of the resurrection, the miracles of the scripture, God's provision, care for his believers. So it's that the apostle, knowing and experiencing the greatness of God's power, prayed that we might know what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Ephesians one 18 through 18-23, Paul wrote this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That is an amazing picture of just the power of God. Still, with God's powerful word in our hands and with the experience of his power in our lives, God's power is so great according to Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do beyond all we can ask or think according to the power at work in us, of course, all to the glory of God. Again, Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Gosh, that's cool. That there isn't anything we or anyone else or Satan can do to thwart that power of God. So let's kind of recap okay let's what we know about our awesome father he knows everything he's everywhere he's perfectly good he is all-powerful that nothing can thwart I mean think just think on um, the awesomeness of that how cool is that that there isn't anything that God plans to do and whatever God plans to do is perfectly good that it can't not happen to use. Yes, absolutely. And that leads us into our next part, God's sovereignty, (laughs) meaning that His will can't be frustrated. So since we're in Psalms already, let's go to 103. Oh, sorry, we were in Job, but going back and forth. So Psalm 103, verse 19, the psalmist says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. If you want to go forward a bit to chapter 115 in Psalms, starting in verse 3, But our God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. And then go forward more to Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep places. So what does this mean, this sovereignty? It means that He's the absolute and sole ruler who is independent of any other rule that could be possible. When we say that God's sovereign, we're saying that He is the number one ruler in the universe with authority and power over it all. So sovereignty speaks, um, quote, of the fruit of the position. God is the chief being in the universe, then the power of God, the supreme being. Ultimately, God is is in complete control of all things. We know that to be a truth, however, it's difficult to accept in our lives. I mean, how many times do we feel like whatever it is that we're going through, nobody has ever gone through this, or where is God? We hear it's called the problem of theodicy. You know, if God is so powerful and so good, why does he allow these things happen to his people? We'll get into that too, I promise, just not today. I loved it in Psalm one hundred three nineteen when he said, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Spoiler alert, that word all in Hebrew, guess what it means, all. <laughs> you know, It literally means everything. So it's based on on all of God's divine attributes, his sovereignty, what do I mean? So his omnipotence, that he's powerful to do as he pleases, his omniscience, his wise understanding, his love, his goodness, his holiness, all his actions, everything, it all culminates into this, this completely consistent with God's own character. <coughs> So this means that in God's sovereignty, what he always does what he deems is best, not what we deem is best. So that answers that question. Why does God allow these things to happen to his people? What we deem to be best and what God deems to be best do not necessarily align 100% of the time. There's no injustice with God, and he doesn't act arbitrarily with man. God's rule over man and the universe, it's in complete harmony with his wisdom and his love and his holiness. It means that nothing escapes his notice. Nothing occurs outside of his jurisdiction and control, and nothing occurs by blind chance or fate. Hmm. Even the laws of mathematical probability fall within the sovereign control of God. The Bible reminds us the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord, Proverbs 16, Any math nerds in here besides me? A little bit, my son. Have you guys ever looked at chaos? Okay, what's supposed to be a random number generator? It's not random at all. It's extremely ordered. There isn't chaos in the universe. It's fascinating. Well, seriously, if you guys can, just, again, we're giving you YouTube videos to look up. Just look up you know, chaos theory or random number generators. And you'll see like they'll attach a pin or something to it and it seems to be random going all over the the place. And then when you just start watching it for a a while, it's just this perfect geometrical shape. It's not chaotic, which is just phenomenal. So God what? He uses various things to accomplish his purposes when we think that things are out of control. And he's always in control of the means that he uses either through natural causes or by his just direct intervention. That's true of nations, individuals, Satan, demons, natural forces. Think of Job chapter one through two. We gotta remember that with God, his his complete control, it's a matter of revelation. If a truth is clearly taught in scripture, then we must embrace it, even if it seems beyond our comprehension or maybe it seems to comprehend other parts of Scripture that, or, I mean, not comprehend, um, contradict other parts of Scripture that we may not fully understand. So, are they contradicting themselves or is our understanding of it off? Okay, so where am I going with this? Well, since we're talking about the, God, the sovereignty of God, such truths fall into this category or what? The Trinity, the triune God. We have a very difficult time comprehending that because we're stuck here in time and, and space. The divine and human nature of Christ, because we have a hard time understanding that, that how can Christ be fully human yet fully God at the same time? Right? Doesn't one have to take precedence over the other? No. And what's the the mother of all of them? Divine sovereignty versus human responsibility. That's a big one. That one we struggle with a lot. As we face such mysteries, okay, so... What? What? What?
1: As we what such mysteries? Face.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I that As one we one. face such mysteries of God's word. <laughs> Specifically that, that whole sovereignty and human responsibility thing. So we got to avoid a couple dangers. What's the first one? Well, it's imposing human reason over what God has revealed in his word. So if an idea in the Bible, assuming it's clearly taught, doesn't conform to our human reason, then what? Our reason has to be subordinated to God at that point. So why not? We're, we're in here to discuss it. Let's open it, right? So, does the Bible teach that God predestines those to salvation? Yes? It's in there, right? Does the Bible also teach that man has a human responsibility to respond to the call of salvation? Yes. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. For God desires that all should come to repentance and that none should perish. So how do we reconcile that? It must come within our minds and our understanding of these concepts rather than saying, well... The Bible just contradicts itself. And I've had that conversation with folks when they're saying that God desires that all should come to repentance and that none should perish. Well, my question is, will they? Will every single person on this planet come to repentance and no one is going to hell? No, that's not true. Then what does that verse mean? (laughs) You're right, Michael. You're absolutely right. So the danger, though, also is one extreme or the other. So in seeking to make difficult doctrines reasonable, our tendency may be to emphasize one truth over over another, like perhaps God's sovereignty, and then completely deny any type of human responsibility, or the other way around. Or you can completely emphasize human responsibility and then mitigate or deny God's sovereignty. Men seek to remove tension between the two, but in doing so, they invariably emphasize one doctrine to the exclusion of the other, which is a very, very dangerous thing to do. So why do we go over this? What's the point? It's so we can worship the right God, plain and simple. That's why we're going over this. So we can worship the right God, and so we can all have that intimate knowledge of the actual God of the Bible, rather than just this force somewhere out in the distance. So what's another danger? It's a danger of a wrong attitude. So, uh, when we were teaching the college class and we were going over this, we had one of the kids in there, not angry at our teaching, but angry at what he was studying in the scripture. He says, last night I just wanted to throw my Bible against the wall. And that's very accurate. I've been there too. Because how many, has anyone else ever been there? You've been reading something in Scripture and, oh man, it just completely goes so far against of what you thought should be or what was comfortable for you at the time that Scripture's like, nope, that is not the way it's supposed to be. So the sovereignty of God is somewhat one of those inscrutable mysteries of Scripture. It's also one of the most comforting doctrines as well when properly understood and embraced alongside the truth of man's responsibility and some things uh, it's one of those eat the meat and spit out the bones so i'm going to quote charles ryrie here so there's a, a little that i agree with ryrie but i like how he phrased this he said the sovereignty of god seems to contradict the freedom or actual responsibility of man but even though it may seem to do so the perfection of sovereignty is clearly taught in the Scriptures." so must not be denied because of our inability to reconcile it with freedom or responsibility. Also, if God is sovereign, how can the creation be filled with evil? Oh yeah, <laughs> let's, let's open up that one too. Why not? So how does that work? Did you guys ever wonder that? If God is completely sovereign and in control of all things, why does evil exist? Why would he ever, ever even want that to exist? So, man was created with what? Was he created with a genuine freedom? Yeah. What's that, Michael? I said at first. At first, yep. But the exercise of that freedom is rebellion against God, and that that introduced sin to the human race. Though God was the designer of the plan, he was not involved in the commission of evil on the part of Satan or of Adam subsequently. So remember when I'm talking about, you can have leaning one side too far or the other? There are some that so emphasize the sovereignty of God that they can't, in their minds, reconcile evil being in the world, so they come to the conclusion that God has to be responsible for the evil directly because His sovereignty cannot be thwarted. That's a dangerous idea.
1: Aren't you, with that thought, elevating yourself above God?
0: How so? what do you mean? Do you want to unpack well, that a bit?
1: If you're saying that God's sovereignty, uh, so he's the cause of it all,
0: that's mm-hmm. putting
1: yourself above him. You're making you're making your thoughts and your um, your understanding right. higher than God's thoughts and understanding.
0: Right. Which is dangerous. Yeah.
1: Well, it's passing off the responsibility for our sin onto God. Yeah. I'm, I'm sinning. It must be God's
0: will that I'm sinning. So. Yeah. And we've heard that before. Yeah, it must be God's will that I'm sinning, or, you know, if God wanted me to stop having premarital sex, he would just stop me. Uh, that's not how that works. <laughs> you know, not, not how that works. That's not the, the God of the Scriptures. And we saw it in the first account. I mean, gutsiest thing that I've ever seen in Scriptures. when Adam confronted with his sin, what does he say to God? The woman that you gave to be with me. You gave her to me, God. It's your problem, not mine. (laughs) I mean, I can't... Every time I read that, I chuckle. I'm like, I can't imagine standing before the Creator and telling Him... Yes, you could. He gave you... (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not going to tell Him that.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: So... Even though God absolutely hates sin, but why? Oh, well, those reasons aren't revealed to us yet. Sin is present by his permission. So what does that mean? It means sin must be in God's eternal plan, or God can't be sovereign. So where, where do we go with that? Just drop it, <laughs> honestly, because we 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 can't. We're gonna start to get human philosophy in that. Oh, it's the greater good defense. It is the, yeah. the the greater good.
1: It gets back to the to the fact that he didn't create robots and he wants us to love us because of who he is, mm-hmm. um, and not because we have no option. Right. Oh, but I'd love to have no (laughs) option. I'd love to be a robot. I'd love my kids to be (laughs) robots.
0: I think every parent would. (laughs) So, when we're looking at this, and sin being in the world, and God being sovereign, like I said, it has to be within God's eternal plan. We have an idea of what brings God glory. But God has the ultimate idea and knowledge of what brings him glory. And think that's the ultimate end, is what brings God glory. We're thinking sin somehow doesn't bring God glory. Oh, but it does. Because it's the greatest redemption story ever told. Without it, we wouldn't have that. So now we get into what? Well, holiness. This whole idea that God is perfectly set apart. God is perfectly holy. Notice the theme here with Psalms. So now we're going to be in ninety-nine. If you guys haven't spent much time in Psalms, I would definitely encourage you to.
1: And if you want to know more about Psalms, watch we'll a Skip Heitzig video about it.
0: I haven't watched the Psalms one. Oh, Is it good? So good. Okay. Yeah, the
1: Bible from thirty thousand feet. The, mm. the Psalms one so informative.
0: So we're going to go Psalm 99 verses 5 through 9. The psalmist says this, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among the priests and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinances he gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. Perfect, huh. Michael. <laughs> yep. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. And I like what Michael just said on that. Perfect balance there in verse 8. You were to them... God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. So what does that point out with God's holiness? It means he can't ignore the sin. Not won't, but can't. So it occupies a place, if you think about it, actually second to none on who God is. If you read through Scripture carefully, it places a chief emphasis on God's holiness, He's actually described by the word holy than any other attribute in Scripture. It's the most central epitomizing attribute of God's being. It's an epithet to God's name. Holy is what you find most, not his mighty name or wise name. Occasionally you may read his great name, but most of all, it's either my holy name or his holy name. Isn't that something? And it's this perfection of God's being and none other that's celebrated by the seraphim in Isaiah 6. Why were we talking about that? Oh, was it for the game? We were talking about. I mean, because holy,
1: holy, holy is Lord God Almighty.
0: Yeah, who was and is and is to come. So it's this perfection that God totally separates Him from all that's evil and defiling and common. So as we call gold pure when it's free from any dross or impurities, I'm sure you guys have heard those um, analogies a ton. Or garment clean when it's free from any spot. So the nature. And actions of God are free from any impurity or evil of any kind whatsoever. See, absolute integrity and purity of God means that He's always absolutely pure and completely distinct from all others. We read in 1 John, God is pure light. It's an essential, necessary perfection of who God is. So think about this one. It's not maintained by an act of His will. God doesn't have to maintain his holiness as we do. Let that sink in. We have to, it has to be a volitional act for us to not um, revert back to our sinful nature. We have to be conscious to be holy. It's not something that is who we are. God doesn't have to make that conscious decision to be holy. That is cool. It's an essential and inherent part of who he is. Only God's absolutely holy, because only God is God. There is no one holy like the Lord in 1 Samuel. The words, there is no... Now get this, let me unpack this a bit. It says, 1 Samuel 2.2, 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. So in Hebrew, the words, there is no... It, it represents this Hebrew word or idea that properly means absolutely nothing. Not even possibility of anything. It denies existence absolutely, which certainly is the meaning. Who can be holy like God? Absolutely no one. So God only is absolute holiness. So God's holiness is also the glory and beauty of all of God's perfections. So let's go back to our Psalms, this time chapter 29. Kind of handy having it on your phone. You can turn quickly. So, the psalmist says this, Give unto the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And then in Psalm chapter 96, verse 9, The psalmist says, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. So holiness gives moral beauty and purity to each. His power is a holy power. His words and promise, a holy promise. His name, which stands for everything, who God is, is a holy name. His throne, a holy throne. So everything about God, his wisdom, knowledge, mercy, grace, love, goodness, everything, all operate within God's absolute perfect holiness. So that's the end here. Um, Like I said, we try to take a, 19-week seminary course and (laughs) drill it down into three sessions. But the whole idea is I wanted you guys to understand just who God our Father is a little bit better. So it's more personable. I know as we're kind of describing these things about God, it just seems to elevate Him, well, it should elevate Him further. But even if we can just, be lost in his greatness but at least now we can understand who he is as a person who the real god of the scriptures are not whatever we've made up in our minds and that's just a human thing don't don't uh, go down on yourselves about it because we have to do that as humans we have to somehow have this image of, of Christ and God in our minds in order to, to relate or to understand as we're reading the scriptures. But just make sure that it's the God of the scriptures, not of some God of your own understanding. So any questions? I know, totally just... <laughs> yeah, no questions whatsoever on the doctrine of God, right?
1: <laughs> so why did the writings of God end there are revelations, and so we don't have any, uh, like, biblical, outstanding scholars uh-huh. or uh, whatever right now writing about this time and the coming, uh, the second coming.
0: Well, because th- they already did. I mean, in, in Revelation, it, it literally goes from beginning to end. Uh, it's complete. Okay. There's There's nothing new that would be needed. Um, nothing at all. We, we have everything needed for us. We have the creation account. We have the end of the world. We have salvation through Christ. We have the beginning of the church, how the churches should be ran. We have how to raise our families. I, there isn't anything that's needed that's left. Good question, though.
1: Just leave us hanging for 2000
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, not hanging. I mean, we know what is going to happen, right? We absolutely have knowledge of how it's going to end down to pretty much day-by-day day account. I mean, God gave us a play-by-play play in Revelation. We just finished Revelation for our home group, and it is. It's just an, it's an absolute... We can see and understand and know what's going to happen. I mean, and I'm more and more convinced that the book of Revelation is kind of a manual for those that are left behind. Because um, they're... They've heard us preach, as you're right, for about two thousand years of what's coming, and we've been warned about that too. That you know, um, the apostle says, for since the beginning, some have said, you know, where is the promise of his coming? Right? That we've been saying that and we've been delaying. Well, that's that's not a, a God issue. That's a them issue, obviously. Great question though.
1: So it's like when I tell my kids, okay, you refuse to believe me now. Now, when this happens, you know that you must believe me then.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I know it's difficult, especially with our loved ones. When, you know, we, it's not that we have, uh, we hope that this is going to happen. We actually know that this is going to happen. There's a very big difference in there. And I've used the analogy before, you know, May 18th, 1980, what happened? Boom, Boom. yep, Mount St. Helens blew up. Mr. Truman was up on top of that mountain. He lived there, he had that lodge for like 30 something years, right? And the geologists were picking up huge seismic activity. There was no other option but for the, the mountain to blow with that level of seismic activity. Like this wasn't just a, a rumbling, this was this mountain, there's nothing else that can happen to this mountain. And they warned him, and they warned him, and they warned him, and then what happened? You know, he also didn't believe and said, "I've this mountain's never going to hurt me. I've been in this mountain for thirty years." You know, according to the the ash, Mr. Truman was spread across the circumference of the globe twice. <laughs> I
1: mean,
0: it was an unbelievable eruption, and it's the same thing that's going to happen on this planet. Not an eruption, but you know what I mean, as far as the end goes. So. It boils down to what? To God's sovereignty and to God's holiness. We have to trust that whatever God decides is, is going to be right, and it's going to be fair, and it's going to be just. And there are those times where, on the one hand, we like to argue for human freedom, and we like to think that this is such a great thing. But on the other hand, I'm sure you're feeling it the same way, where you're just like, God, will you just c- completely disregard and override any type of will that this apostate child has and just regenerate him, please. I don't care about his freedom. I just want him saved. So, right, that's, that's those ones that we just have to accept the sovereignty of God. And, and we know, we know that whatever God chooses is gonna be right and holy and just and merciful Because it's who God is. It's not something that he does. I know. Very difficult. Very, very difficult for those of us that have the our unsaved loved ones. I know. But that's the best answer that we have according to scripture.
1: And the unloved saved ones.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Unloved saved ones. Any other questions?
1: From a humanistic standpoint when I think about Knowing everything, Yeah. I find it would be pretty boring. Because every time I went fishing, I'd know how many fish I was going to catch. Every time I sat down to a football game, I'd know who yeah. the store was. And if I was all-powerful, that'd be boring too, because then I could decide the outcome. And so, and I don't want to give to God human feelings. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you wonder, does God get bored? And if, I always think of boredom is like a sin. Right. Because when I get bored in church, well, I'm sinning because I'm not really paying attention or I'm not doing something. So God can't get under that circumstance. God can't get bored because that means God is sinning. Right. So how can he know everything and have everything and do everything and still find satisfaction in what happens?
0: Good question. I don't have an easy answer for you. I mean, the only answer that I have with that is what we went over before. I mean, you can't put those human attributes on God. Yeah, you, you, yeah, that's what I
1: was saying. You just, yeah, you personally, you just can't.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Tim. We
1: can't fathom the love that he has for us. No. The great love that he has for us, and even though he knows everything, and he, he sets everything in order, there's still that love that encompasses all of what he does for us. Yeah. And yet, before time began, he was perfectly satisfied. Yeah, us. He didn't need us. He yeah, didn't did we
0: bring that, that up last week uh, before, for those Trinity, listening online? Yeah. Uh, my son brought up before time began, God was perfectly satisfied. It's not... Humanity wasn't created because God was lonely. That's not a thing. God didn't need us. Right? We added to the headache, if anything. <laughs> 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 you know, he created
1: to glorify himself. Like yep. and, and, and he has satisfaction in being praised and glorified and revelation says well, that's what we're going to do forever in heaven. Right? And with this group going to heaven, God will not be bored.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll be uh, like the little child, you know, asking all the questions. Why? 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 Well, uh, <laughs> I don't think we will. No, Probably we know not. All,
1: I, know the <laughs> I don't think we're going to get all knowledge of God. No, so we're not. We
0: to no, it, it the never... eternity of unfolding who
1: God is. And yeah. in
0: And the interesting thing that we discovered in our last two chapters of Revelation, it kind of has this idea that, yes, it's an eternity, but there's still a timeline for us. Like there's still a progression of time uh, when we're in heaven, because apparently that just can't even.
1: Well, we aren't going to be. We're going to be on a new earth. Right. That's the end. The end is
0: on a new earth.
1: It's
0: not in this ethereal. Right. Heaven with clouds. It's on a new earth, and there's going to be no sun, though. Right. Christ is the light. So no
1: sleeping. No sunburn. No sunburn.
0: potentially no biscuits and gravy but you know <laughs> Well, we, we, have must more the <laughs> we must keep learning yes I, yeah you know it's yeah you
1: think about what are we going to do what are we going to be doing
0: worshiping God and then that yeah. is the greatest yeah. contentment there's like, a great yeah. there's and a great then
1: when we're supposed to be ruling and reigning Like the the seven years or whatever the time frame is, um, I think, what are we going to be doing? But then, if we're going to be ruling and reigning, I'm thinking, that seven years, we're going to be in school, basically, <laughs> so we know what to do when we're supposed to be ruling and reigning. Well, I think, you, it, know? you know, when it talks about... The ones going to and fro before the throne, you uh-huh. know, and they're singing, holy, 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 mm-hmm. and this is all they do, uh-huh. is they just, they, they just sing holy, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that would get really boring.
0: I think and, we can't
1: comprehend. We can't. I mean, yeah, we can't yeah it, because it seems like it would get annoying, good. too. Right. <laughs> like they worship some something. <laughs> thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right. You know, four <laughs> Somebody's got to take care of the <laughs> <laughs> I <own. laughs> <You volunteer, guys. laughs> I'm gonna Oh, there's a great book by Randy Alcorn called Fifty Days in Heaven. It's not one of those yeah. Yeah. stupid books about somebody claiming that they went to heaven. It's actually just a, a great book of just talking about what heaven may be like from a biblical standpoint and it's a really good book I've heard about how you know the, the, the good things that aren't inherently a result of the fall on earth
0: mm-hmm. good food right
1: that's not going to not be in heaven right it's just going to be better
0: yeah somehow
1: I I, I know good, good experiences
0: <laughs> yeah Michael
1: the nature all of that stuff Adam was created perfect mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. and he's created the work yep mm-hmm. So when we get to
0: heaven, yeah,
1: we'll we're work. gonna work, yeah, and we're gonna learn. I'm gonna take care of the horses.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if this if this isn't the perfect example of the difference between God's holiness and our um, well, the basement, I don't know what is, because here we are, in jest but half seriousness, complaining about how bored we are going to be in heaven. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm kind of worrying
1: that, but see, there won't be competition. No.
0: There won't be um, wages to worry nope. about. It's not gonna be that kind of a world. It's, it's, no. I mean, I don't know what it's gonna be, but it's going to be good. I know. You know there's long I don't No, no, there will be no pain, no. No health issues. You'll be able to run and not get tired. I mean, yeah. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal. And we're worshiping the Creator yeah. right there with us. Well, as in with sight. Yeah. Like we're supposed to have be been doing all yep. the
1: time. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's close in prayer, guys. It's It's been an hour. Father, again, we praise you so much for who you are, God. And, and we ask that we would just get to know you better and that you would reveal yourself more to us. God, I know that's a us issue, but that we would constantly seek you and worship you and worship you more importantly in truth, Lord. Uh, Please bless our day as we go out. Keep all of us safe if we're planning any trips or anything. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.